I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 5 and 6. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there's a story that's told of uh, three dads that one day were all having their wives. Uh, they were all giving birth, and so the dads were waiting in the waiting room, getting ready to hear the announcement about their children being delivered. And the nurse came out and went up to the first dad and said, are you so-and-so? And he said, I am. And uh, she said, I got some good news for you. You're now the father of twins. And he, was, he just beamed. He was like, this is un unbelievable. And he says, what's so funny, he said to the other dads, is like, I actually, uh, I play for the Minnesota twins. And now I, now I have twins, you know. And then the, the nurse came out to the next dad and said, are you so-and-so? And he said, yes. And she said, well, congratulations. You're the father of triplets. And he said, no way, that's unbelievable. He's like, I work for the 3M company. So this is, this is in incredible. And then the last dad is sitting there and the nurse comes out and he slinks off of his chair and almost faints. And she says, are you so-and-so? And he says, yes. And he said, oh no. He says, I work for the 7-Up company. And so, <laughs> and he was just having just, just one, just one. What makes that story, I think, so humorous is there's a truth behind it. Every parent recognizes the great responsibility of having children. One is a lot of work. Two, three, and so the dad fainted at the thought that he could be, could be having seven. In fact, a comedian, I don't know who said it, was quoted as saying that insanity is hereditary. It is, it is. We get it from our children. And that, right? So we... <laughs> Because, like, children are a wonderful thing, but the responsibility of, of being a parent, it's a serious thing. It's a significant thing. And so, for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to ask the question. We have to wonder, like, what does that relationship between parents and children look like? Does God's Word actually give us direction? Does it speak into this this very crucial relationship, not just to society, but to our lives. And, and what we have begun to see starting last week is that, yes, God's word does speak into this. And it doesn't just speak into this as far as like just families in general, but, but here in Ephesians, this is where we've been studying, in Ephesians chapter 6, God speaks very specifically to the church. We have to understand this and keep coming back to this. The instructions being given here are to followers of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that unbelievers shouldn't apply these things? No, they should apply them too. But we have to understand that these, these instructions that he gives as far as what the family is supposed to look like as part of God's family, it's given to believers and it's to help us understand how we can actually live out our new lives in Jesus Christ as children, as fathers, as husbands, as wives. And so I want to invite you to open up in your Bibles, if you haven't gone there, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing in here the instructions that God gives to his people in the different relationships that we have in life. And we're, we're focusing today on the role of parents. Last week, God spoke to children, and, and he had a very 
very clear instruction to them. And if you were with us last week, you, you saw this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. As children who are part of God's family and who have parents of their own, a, res- a child's responsibility in the home is very straightforward. It is to do what your parents say with the right attitude. A child is called to obedience. A child is to, to do, that's what it means. Children, obey your parents. Do what your parents say, but you're to do it with the right attitude. That's the idea of honoring your father and your mother. A child is to understand that the structure of the home is created by God, is that they are placed under the authority of their, their parents. And we, we stressed this last week. And one of the big things I said at the end is when you think about God's wisdom and God's kindness here in Ephesians. What he's actually doing in calling children to obey their parents is he's setting them up to succeed for the rest of their life. Do you know that the call for a child to obey their parent is God's gracious command to set a child up for success for the rest of their life? And the reason is very simply this. We never stop being a child of God. You see, as a child, you're placed under the authority of your parents, and when you grow up, you never cease being under the authority of someone else. God remains your father, and so as a child, what the Lord is doing through this instruction, he's saying, I am teaching you to come underneath the authority that I have established, and their authority, your parents, is going to be imperfect, but throughout the rest of your life, you are called to submit to and to follow to someone even greater than your parents, and that is the maker of heaven and earth. So even here, this instruction for children to obey their parents is, is teaching us and training us from the earliest ages that we are always those who are under authority. We are always those called to submit. And the one we are to always submit to is our Father in heaven. But now this week, what we find in our text is God comes and he switches the instruction. He moves away from talking to children. and He gives a very specific instruction to fathers And I'm going to say there in parentheses, and mothers, but he moves from talking about a child's responsibility in the home to this week here in verse 4, talking about a parent's responsibility in the home. And here's what he says. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I find it interesting. The kids get three verses. Parents only get one. I'm not going to make a comment. I don't know exactly why, but, but one verse for, for parents and specifically one verse for, for fathers. While this verse could be taken broadly to be given to both mothers and fathers, God's word is very clear. The word that he uses here, the instruction as far as who it's given to, is a Greek word that's predominantly used to refer to fathers. Now, This doesn't mean that just because he addresses fathers here that mothers are off the hook. Mothers are like, great, I can provoke my kids all I want and let my husband deal with it. Like, you know, no, no, there's a broader context throughout the scriptures that we see as far as what parents are to be and to do. But in Paul coming back and addressing fathers specifically, he is highlighting that it is the father in the home who has the role of leadership. And this is going to make a lot more sense when we understand what he is calling fathers to, to do. They are the head of the home. They have the responsibility for setting the tone in the home. And so what is the instruction 
that God gives to fathers here? Well, it comes to us in two parts. If you notice, there are things that a father is to not do with his children, and there are things that he is to do. Now, just to set expectations, I'm going to be straightforward. Today, I'm going to actually look at only one aspect of this verse. We're going to look in this, at this verse in totality, but there are some powerful applications that we just won't simply have time to get to. And so today is really part one of a two-part on a parent's responsibility in the home. And so we're going to look broadly at the two things that God calls a father to do and not to do in the home. And then next week, we're going to expand that a little bit further. So what is it? What's the first thing? Well, he starts with what a father's not to do. Fathers, do not provoke your children to what? Anger. If we are to understand this, we have to remember our conversation and what we looked at the last few weeks about a father's role in the home in Rome at this time. You see, Paul is speaking into a very specific cultural context. We talked last week about a Roman home. And in a Roman home, the father was the final and ultimate authority. He was the one who told everyone what they were to do. And a wife and a children and the servants of the home were there to ultimately serve the patriarch, to serve the father. Now, some of you are thinking, not such a bad idea. Why can't we go back to that? But that's not what God has designed the home to look like. Yes, the father is to be the leader in the home. But what God's word is doing here is he's saying, fathers, while you have been given this role and given this responsibility, a father's role in the home is not to be one in which he is looking to use his authority, to use his position, to just serve himself. As we saw earlier when we were looking at husbands and wives, the husband's role, the father's role in the home is to use his position in order to bless those who are under him and to lead them and appoint them to Jesus Christ. This is the role of a father. And so if I were to summarize this verse in this first part of this instruction, what's he saying? He's saying this, do not, fathers, do not engage your children in such a way that makes their obedience to you difficult. That's the overarching message of the first part of this instruction. When it says, do not provoke your children to anger, what God's word is speaking to is, fathers, you've been given authority in the home, but do not engage your children in such a way that it makes their obedience to you difficult. As I said before, God's word is, is confronting this culturally acceptable idea that a father is to rule over his home and all those in his home are supposed to, to serve him. Another way of thinking about this, dads, is very simply this. You are called to bless and not to oppress. You're called to bless and not to oppress in the role that you have been given. Did you know that a parent can parent in such a way, you can treat your child in such a way that it stirs up emotions in your child that are destructive and harmful to them and to others? That's what this is saying. The underlying thing here is that you can use your, your authority in somebody's life in such a way that it is frustrates them, that it stirs up emotions in them. It's not saying that, that 
the children are sinless. It's not condoning or excusing a sinful or rebellious child, but it is being abundantly clear that you and I in our roles as fathers can ultimately parent in such a way that makes their obedience to us difficult. Paul would write to the church in Colossae, and here's what he would say. This is in Colossians 3.21. He would say something very similar. He'd say, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. What's the implication there? You can parent them in such a way that you can discourage them. Christianity is not about using the positions that God has designed to oppress those under us, but instead to use the positions and the roles that we have to bless others. And this holds true when it comes to the home. Now, all of us here already know from our life experience that this verse is true. Because all of us have had a teacher, have had a coach, have had a boss, somebody who we are supposed to come underneath that have either helped or hindered us. They've used their position in such a way to build us up or to tear us down. If you've played sports, you've had coaches that instead of helping you thrive in your role, have coached you with harshness and have degraded you in such a way that rather than making your sport a joy, has become drudgery. Have you ever had that experience? Many of us have had a boss, someone who's over us in our role within a company, and that boss has used their authority in such a way to cut us down rather than to build us up. You can use your position to either oppress or to bless. Am I the only one who's ever had one of those experiences? If it's true outside of the home, understand that God's word is saying it is true also inside of the home. And just as a step back for a moment, when you consider what God's word is saying here, it's doing something that it continually does. It continually comes and shows us, like in this passage, that God counts people as precious. That children are image bearers of God. We talked about this last week. And when he's talking to a parent, he's saying, listen, use your position to bless and not oppress. He's saying, because children are of worth and of value. In fact, in this day and age, especially when this was originally written, God is showing his care for children. When culture at that time was saying children were things to be discarded or used only as you saw appropriate, God's word is saying, no, Fathers, do you understand the care you are to demonstrate? How your position is to be used for their, for their good? And so it's a simple instruction. Do you engage your children in such a way that it makes their obedience to you challenging? I was thinking about this week the ways in which we make our children's obedience to us a challenge the way in which we can use our position as parents to oppress rather than bless. Let me give you some of them. Number one would be acting like a hypocrite. <laughs> you call your child to obey you and to do something that you would like them to do, and then you go out and you do the opposite. Don't yell at your brother. And then you do it like this. Don't yell at your brother, right? And so it's like you're telling me to do one thing, and yet you're doing the exact opposite. And so a child gets this conflicting message when we act like hypocrites. When we fail to express approval 
even at their small accomplishments. We call them to obedience, and obedience is expected, God's word says, from a child to a parent. But do we ever celebrate their obedience, thank them for their obedience? When a parent fails to express love, either through words or through physical action, God's word says, We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Do we think about our children as our neighbors? If you're called to love your neighbor and you're called by Jesus to love your enemy, you're also called to love your your child. And when they're little and they're babies and they're cute, it's really easy to love them. When they grow to be stinky hormonal teenagers, it gets a little bit more challenging. (laughs) But does that mean that we stop showing them love and affection? When we pressure them to pursue goals, our goals, and not theirs. When we discipline them inconsistently. When, when we call them to obey and then they, they disobey and the punishment doesn't necessarily meet the crime. And we're going to talk about that next week where we over-discipline them or under-discipline and they don't know what to expect. Like, is your home a a steady place for your, your child? There are ways that we can bless versus oppress. I'll tell you one of the things that for me I have found to be so important in my parenting, and Hannah, I believe, would say the same, and that is that our children know that we are sinners, That means at times we do sin. We're not perfect people. A parent who has never asked their child for forgiveness has not blessed their child but oppressed their child because there's no way under God's green earth that you've never sinned against your child. And yet God's word doesn't say that just because they are under you that you have to act as though, you know what, I can do no wrong. The best thing a parent can do to their child is to demonstrate to them repentance so that they can see and understand what forgiveness looks like. And so when I fail my girls, when I either speak in anger or I fail to do what I, what I said I would do for them, to be able to come to them and to be able to say, L, Addy, Cece, I'm sorry for what I did. I understand how that would have affected you. Please forgive me for not showing you the love that I should have shown you. It's the most powerful thing you can do as a parent is to help them understand that while you're not perfect, you look to a Savior who is. And and if a child never hears from a parent that they have done wrong or can do wrong, then you're putting a standard up for them that is going to be crushing to them. Are you tracking with me? You see, God's word says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And and if we sin against our children, we never give them the opportunity to extend to us forgiveness when we sin against them, then then they're going to grow up thinking that forgiveness and repentance is something that they don't have to do either. That's destructive. It's destructive to marriages. It's destructive to relationships. You know, as I've counseled parents over the years, I began to also see another pattern of something that oppresses rather than blesses. I'd have children that would come to me and I would would talk to them. They would be struggling within their home. This is especially when it came to teenagers. And I'd have teenagers say to me, you know, my parents, they never listen to me. 
which I always found a little bit shocking because I would know the parents that were coming in and often, you know, what I could tell are godly parents, although I don't know what's going on inside the home. And a child would come and say, you know, my parents, they just, they never listen to me. I don't feel like I can communicate with, with my mom and dad. And I was just, I heard this enough times I began to wonder, like, what's going on here? What's, what's taking place? And then here's the pattern I discovered. And here's what I learned about children, what they were trying to communicate is this is that a parent would often come and a child would say to the parent, hey, can I do such and such a thing? I'd like to go and have this experience. And the parent said, no, you can't do that. And that would be the end of the conversation. The child would say, but, there's like, no, no buts, you know, that's it, you're not going. Now, a child should just take their parent when they say, no, you can't do that. But what was lacking so often in the relationship was that a parent, rather than just saying no, wasn't going to a child and saying, I know that you'd really like to do that. Is it fair for me to say that that's something that's meaningful to you? It's something that's important to you? Yeah, it, it really is. I want you to know, child, I hear you. And I, and I would love for you to be able to have that kind of opportunity. But I need to tell you that you're not going to be able to do it. But it, I want you to know, I hear you. I hear you. I know what you want to do, but it's still something that you can't do. It's still something that I'm not going to allow you to do. And what would so often be lacking in parenting is just that one little interaction with the kid, just to let the child know that they had actually been heard by their parent. Now, first-time obedience is important, and a child should just receive their instruction of their parent. But, but God's word is saying, okay, now I'm just talking to you, parents. I'm not talking to kids. Are you using your role and your authority as a way to bless them? Or are you using it to oppress this is a powerful way that we can implement what God's word is saying here because all of us have been in relationships, whether with it's with our own parents or with coaches or with teachers or with bosses, where we feel the person using their authority either for their own gain or to keep us down. And God's word says, families in God's family, well, for parents who are followers of Jesus Christ who look to imitate God the Father in their relationship with their children, they look to engage their children in a way that it doesn't discourage their obedience, but helps them in it. But he doesn't just come and he states the negative. Look at what the text goes on to say. He's talking about a parent's position in the home, and look at what verse 4 says. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... So now he's going to give a contrast here. Here's the thing that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't provoke them through your words and actions, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we're going to look at more detail next week, this idea of discipline and instruction. But for now, here's what I want you to see, what I believe God's word is saying in the second part of verse 4, and it's this. A parent's responsibility in the home is to provide and care for your children by showing them Jesus and his ways. By showing him Jesus and his ways. This is something that's so significant. This is what he's saying. Instead of using your position to oppress, he says you're to use your position in order to provide and care for your children, to, to, to show them Jesus and his ways. And it all begins with that little verbal phrase, bring them up. That phrase, bring them up, it really doesn't do justice to the notion of this verb because it's already been used once in Ephesians 5.29 when God was talking to husbands about nourishing and providing for their wives. Fathers and parents have the same responsibility 
God's word is saying, as a husband does for his wife, to care for and to provide for your children just as a husband would his wife. And, and this implies a lot of things for us. This implies a lot of things. The first thing that it implies for us is this, church. Our children are our responsibility. Our children are our responsibility. When it says that we are, parents you are, fathers you are, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, God's word is abundantly clear. If you have children, they are first and foremost their responsibility. That seems like an obvious thing for me to state. But in today's world, that is under attack. There is being pushed into culture today this idea that parents, you are not the primary ones responsible for the instruction and the care and provision of your children. You're just, you're just part of a larger team, which includes the government and the schools and your doctors and, and everybody else. Parents are being told today from a very early age, they're being told that you are insufficient in the task of raising your children. And God's word says, that's not my design. As parents, we have to commit to the fact that our children's health, their education, their spiritual growth, these things are our responsibility given to us by God. Now, it is the wise parent who seeks the input and the help of others. But we do not push, we do not put to the side that someone else is to raise our children and to bring them up. The call is for us to, to do this. I'm just, I'm more and more just shocked at how slowly culture is putting this force. Like, listen, if you're a young parent here today, um, I'll just give you an example. My, my wife, Hannah, took our youngest, who's now 12, recently to the doctor. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that when you take your child to the doctor today, the number of invasive questions that they ask of parents and questions that nurses won't even ask the parents but only will ask the children directly. Like my wife was filling out a form and it was asking questions like this. You know, it's like, you know, what's your child's name? And then it said, what's your child's preferred name? And then it said, how does your child identify? And those were not things that were being communicated five years ago even. But more and more, what like in the medical field, when you go in and you take your child, I mean, like in California, it's ridiculous. Like the moment a child turns, I think it's 13, like 12, thank you, 12. You know, they sequester your, your child from you and they only ask questions of your child and they, they don't want your presence there. They'll ask the kid, do, do you, you know, is it okay? Some nurses will do that, but most don't. And, and what's the mindset behind that? You are not capable of taking care of your own child. The other sad thing that we see culturally today is that we've all bought into this idea that you need professionals, that professionals are needed in every area of, of life. Have you noticed this? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what field you're in. Like everybody's, you know, you, you need specialized coaches, you need specialized tutors, you need specialized doctors, you need specialized this. Like, listen, there's a place for those things, but it also builds in us a mindset 
I'm, and I'm thinking specifically of young parents here today that I'm incapable. I just can't do this. Yet for thousands of years of human history, God has ordained that parents, you have the responsibility for your children. It's your responsibility. And we have to understand that when he says, bring them up, that that falls on, on us. Which means that if parents, you feel insufficient in any way, do you know what this means? Like, this is what's missed. Parents feel like if I'm insufficient, then I need to find somebody else who can do it better. That's not the first thing you should be thinking. The first thing you should be thinking is, then what do I need to learn? And what do I need to train myself in so I can be better equipped? Because it's our responsibility. And, and there's, a, there's a, oh, by the way, portion to this, which is, when we think about children being our responsibility, let me just now ease parents' minds for just a moment, which is this. You know, parents, that we don't own our children, right? Let me just state that. You know that we don't own our children, right? We're stewards of our children. Stewards and owners, that's two totally different things. Your children belong to God, not just before they came into your life, but while they're in your life and then when they come out of your life. Are you tracking with me on that? They, they are a gift from the Lord to you, but, but you are a steward of their life, which should free us in some ways to say, at the end of the day, and I love what Paul was even praying when we were praying for the children of our church and community, is at the end of the day, they, they belong to God. And, and part of owning the responsibility is understanding that I'm a steward of, of this life, but they will always be, be the Lord's. Um, and then... I know there aren't a lot of children here right now, but there's also another side to this, which is at the end of the day, if I, I say this always to children, um, at the end of the day, when your parents grow old, it's interesting what God has done here. Uh, children are the responsibility of their parents, but when parents get old, parents are the responsibility of their children. Are you tracking with me on that one? When children are younger, Children are the responsibility of their parents. When parents get older, parents are the responsibility of their children. You know why I say that? 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, and it's in the context of, of him talking about family. He says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Did you know that verse was in the Bible? <laughs> and it's this call that as we pour into our children's lives at a young age, God understands that as parents, as they grow old, they will need care and they will need provision. And over and over again in God's word, it specifically often speaks about the widow. But here we have a passage where as, as parents, as we model caring for our children at, an, at a young age, children should receive that and embrace their responsibility and call by God to care for their parents as they get older. Can I get an amen from the parents here? Amen to that. All right. So now... Parents are our responsibility, but there's something else that's implied, which is this, we must know our children. If we're called to bring them up, which is to nourish and to care for them, we need to know our children. You all are familiar with Psalm 139, but let me just read it to you. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
God has made each and every person distinct. I love looking in the mirror in the morning and saying, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? <laughs> like if you have low self-esteem, whatever that is, look in the mirror because God says you're fearful. Uh, it's not boasting, it's recognizing. I don't do that. It's recognizing that God has created us all distinct and all different. If you are to bring up your child, you have to know your child. You have to know who they are, who God has made them to be. We're all different. How well do you know your child? How similar or dissimilar are they to you? I've talked about it recently when we were talking about husbands and wives that only three things grow in the Wajaniki household. I won't rehearse that, but we don't have a lot of success with plants. <laughs> but different plants take different things. It's one of the reasons why we didn't have certain success. Oh, that plant needs a lot more shade then it needs sun. That one needs a lot more sun than it needs shade. And if you don't know the plant that you're looking to bring up, it's not going to thrive. How well do we know our children? Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the father of the atomic bomb, a brilliant, brilliant man, physicist. When he was a child, uh, at the age of five, his mother started um, having them take piano lessons. And he he took the piano lessons dutifully for a number of years. At about the age of eight, he got very, very sick. And uh, actually, they were wondering if he was going to be able to survive. But it was a very painful illness that he had. And his mom doted on him, like almost too much so. And one day, she came into the room while he was sick and saw him laying there. And, and she went up to him and says, so how bad are you feeling today? And he was a little exasperated by her always checking in. But he used the opportunity. He said, you know what? I feel about as bad as I do every time I have to take my piano lesson. <laughs> Smart eight-year-old. No wonder he's the father of the atomic bomb, right? Like, and he said, from that day forward, I never took another piano lesson. The mom realized that she was having him do this thing because it's what she wanted to do, but it's something that he didn't enjoy. In fact, so interesting and so strange was Oppenheimer in this regard that his friends noted that he almost never listened to music his, his entire life. Uh, he had two older friends that said, you know, once a year he'd come to, with us to the opera and then he would leave halfway through. And one of his mentors would later comment to him, he said, you're the only physicist I know that has no enjoyment with music. It's just not who he was. It's just something that he, and yet his mother was trying to mold him into a certain image. How well do we know our children if they're different than us? Listen, I have now with our dogs like seven females in the home or something like that. I don't even know. Right? And like, I am overwhelmed. I am different than every creature that lives in the Wajaniki household, just by my very, by my gender. And yet there are similarities and dissimilarities. If I am to bring them up, not just provoke them to anger, I must know who they are and what they are like. It's so fascinating to me that when our children are little, you know, as babies, we're so attentive to them. Like, as a young parent, you're taking care of your child and every cry, every fuss, you're trying to, what do you need? What do you want? How can I help you? What can I, well, we're trying to understand them. Maybe because we get burnt out from trying at an early age, as they get older, we just kind of stop, right? We're like, yeah, well, now they're who they are. And it's like, no, the attentiveness that a child needs at an early age should be the kind of attentiveness and trying to understand them, the cries of their heart as they continue to grow. It be a challenge because we can be so different often from them. But God calls us to bring them up. It's our responsibility, and we're the ones who are called to know them. 
And this idea of bringing them all up also implies this idea that we are in it for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. To, to bring up a child in the fear of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord, like to bring them up, it, it's this idea that, that you are nourishing them, you're caring for them, you're providing for them, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. I love that it's very much like this, this um, cultivating idea that, that a plant, you know, you got to water it. You got to come back to it. You got to feed it. You got to nurture it. Uh, any livestock that you're raising, this word is also used in the same way. Like you, you provide for it. You, you care for it. You're watching this thing continue to grow. You don't stop watering a plant in the midst of its growth. You don't stop feeding an animal as it's continuing to grow. God's word is calling us to bring them up. It means I'm committed to my child for the long haul. Now, the dynamic in the relationship changes as they grow into adulthood. And that's something we'll talk about more next week. But, but when we look at our children, if we think that bringing them up is just we give them instruction, we give them care, we have one conversation and that settles it, we're, we're teasing ourselves. But when I wrote this down this week, I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. Like, what does this look like? How, do we, how can we be in this for the long haul? And then I went to Philippians 1.6. It's because of who we look to. In Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God that our Heavenly Father didn't start a work in us and then just say, ugh, too much work. David Wojnicki, the things I got to do in that guy, my goodness, I'm going I'm to come over here. I'm going to deal with this person. No, our Heavenly Father began a good work in us and he promises to be faithful in completing it. And so as we look to invest in our children and provide for our children, when we, when we grow tired and weary at times, what we cling to is this. We cling to that Jesus continues to walk with us and we have a heavenly father who continues to be there for us as we pour into our own children. You know why we need to be encouraged in that? You know why we need to look to him in the midst of all that? Because guess what, church? This command to do not provoke your children and to bring them up is exactly that. It's a command, not a suggestion. <laughs> Which when you break it down, and this really, I knew this to be true, but it really struck me. As we look to, to parent in this way, it's not an optional thing. Because we're commanded to do it, listen to me on this. This is not me, this is God's word. Because it's a command of the Lord to his people to provoke your child to anger is a sin. If you provoke your child to anger, if God commands you, do not provoke your child to anger, it is a sin. So that should ratchet up in our minds just a little bit the seriousness of what God is calling us to do, which also means if I do not bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that too is a what? Sin. Just to make sure that we understand the seriousness of what this is. Sometimes this is not an optional pursuit is what I'm saying. Like, how serious do we take these things? And because of how serious this is, it leads me to say this last thing. And, and this is what we're going to build upon next week, and that's this. If all of what I've said today is true, if this is what God's word is communicating to us, then we need Jesus at the center of our lives and our homes. 
We need Jesus at the center of our life and, and home. If we're going to raise them up, if we're going to, to follow what God says to us here, it's, it's why these commands are given to us in the context of the fact that we are already beloved children and this is how we live that out. Because I'm here to tell you today, we fail at this, do we not? Like we do not always measure up. We do the things that God's word calls us not to do. But when we have Jesus at the center of our life and of our home, we know that we can come back to him time and time again, which is why at the very end of it, it says, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. If we're to do these things, we need to know the Lord first. If we're going to discipline and instruct them in the Lord, he must be at the center of our lives. It's why when God called husbands to love their wives, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God has already loved us and he has already done these things for us. And so when we consider the role and responsibility that we have as parents, we say, this is something that we are enabled to do, not because of anything good in us, but because we have the power of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ to live in this way. Without him, we would be crushed. But with him, we can know that his grace is sufficient for us to love our children and to parent them in this way. And when we fail, and we will, we run back to a father who is willing and ready to forgive, restore us, and to lead us forward. May God help us. May God help us to see the family as he sees it, to see our roles in the family as he sees it, and to embrace the role that he has given us in the family with the grace and strength that he provides. Because let me leave you with this encouragement, and it comes to us in Ephesians chapter two. For the parent here today who recognizes that they don't always measure up, know this, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, that means that God is doing a work in you even through your children. He's refining you for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. And so in the ways that you have failed even this past week, know that there are even good works that if you are in Jesus Christ, he has in store for you that you haven't even yet experienced. There's ways that you will be a blessing to your children and a blessing to others, but it's all by his grace. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we cling to today this powerful truth that you who began a good work in us are going to be faithful to complete it, that you've not left us on our own, but you go with and before us and empower us. Lord, one of the precious things that you've designed in this world is the family, and in that family unit, Lord, you have designed roles and responsibilities. Lord, it's a remarkable thing when children are called to obey their parents, the submission of their wills to the will of another. But Lord, yet we thank you for that instruction because, Lord, we are always to submit our will to you. And so from an early age, thank you that in your beautiful design, you enable us to practice that with imperfect authority figures. But then, Lord, that you also have allowed us in parenthood to enter into a role where we get to model for our children the kind of relationship that you have with us. And so I pray that as a church, Lord, that our families would be an accurate reflection of, of your family.
and that for the fathers here today that they would see and understand the leadership that you've given them in the home and that they would embrace that. And that, Lord, for the mothers that are here today, that they would see the role in the home as their children are called to obey them, that they too would embrace the role that you have given them. And when they fail and we do, Lord, that we would look to you and we would understand that there is grace and forgiveness, and not just grace for forgiveness, but grace to go forward in the new day that you give for us and to be able to live out what you call us to. And Lord, if there's any here today who don't know Christ as Savior, if there's any here, Lord, who are failing to know you as the sweet and good heavenly Father that you are, maybe they've had a, have an earthly father who has failed to be anything that I've communicated here this morning, Lord, I pray that they would understand through your word how you've reached down in love and shown your perfect love as a father by sending your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, Lord. So may they know that life today through Christ in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.